Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. It's been an exciting week in Devils hockey, and while the results keep fluctuating, they had a very impressive homestand over the last four games. Uh, We addressed the first of those games um, against the St. Louis Blues on the last episode, so here we're going to talk about the remaining three games against the Western Conference opponents that the Devils faced, and they did a pretty good job uh, facing them at home and showing themselves well, and uh, in the process, may have actually found a viable goalie. So, John, I just want to throw to you, how often this season have you said the expression, the Devils definitely won the game yesterday because of their goaltender? Not often, Dan. It's been um, a revelation of sorts. I'm a little hesitant to uh, crown Nico Dawes as the goaltender of the future because we've seen this kind of thing before. We saw it most notably with Scott Wedgwood, Mm -hmm. who had the best four games of possibly his entire life. Um, And then he's basically been a number three goaltender for the rest of his career. So that being said, this isn't just four hot games from Nico Dawes. He's been in the net for quite a while. In fact, um, I'm struggling to remember the exact date of the last time John Gillis got a start. I want to say it may have been all the way back in February, um, Mm -hmm. the middle of February, I might add. And his performances have been pretty good. And he was at his best last night against Anaheim and arguably he did very well on Thursday against Winnipeg Tuesday against Colorado. Well, (laughs) it was Dawes's fault, but it wasn't exactly the one you want to put a gold star on. Well, so let's talk about that game because to call that the best win of the season would be an absolute understatement for, Mm. um, for the devils. I I think Mm. given the context, given who the opponent was and the circumstances that brought them down to three, nothing initially, Maybe not the best in terms of execution, but definitely the best in terms of feeling. I wouldn't say the best in terms of feeling, wow. uh, personally. I mean, I attended this game, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was great. I'm not saying it was bad, but, you know, I got bigger kicks out of, you know, the 6-1 win over Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago, the 7-1 win over Montreal after that depressing loss to Ottawa. Um, if See, we go I don't back know. Like further, the, the, the third period comeback in Tampa Bay. Blowouts are um, blowouts, right? And the third period comeback in Tampa Bay is the one that to me feels close to this one because, um, uh, you know, that was just limited to one period. But here, especially, they were down 3 nothing against the worst team in the NHL uh, very early in the second period. They easily could have just folded. They easily could have just given up as they had um, earlier in the season, but they did not. They kept going. They 
uh, managed to tie the game and then take a late lead and actually win the game against, like I said, the best team in the NHL. And that's by so many metrics, but the ones that matter most um, points percentage. Well, to be fair. Yeah. Like I said, it was a great win. And to be fair, let's, let's quickly go over how that happened. I mean, mm-hmm. the two Colorado built their lead uh, on power plays uh, mm-hmm. basically the Devils took a penalty. Nathan McKinnon, Nathan McKinnon, I think, drew all three, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he he uh, scored the first power play goal. Miko Ratnan scored the second. And other than those power plays, the Devils were really kind of letting Colorado know who was in charge of the game. Mm-hmm. Colorado had trouble with lateral passes, uh, giving up uh, zone entries all night long. And, and again, um, Colorado's coming off a back-to-back here as well. Um, it's yes. another example of a schedule favoring the Devils, although Colorado had had a pretty good mark in back-to-back games regardless. Well, yeah. I mean, when you win, when you have the best record in hockey, you probably have a pretty and, good record in that Well, not respect. just this season. Over the last couple of seasons, they, they've had... Well, uh, yeah. th- they've been good over the last couple of seasons, but particularly in back-to-backs compared to some other teams in that same situation. Uh, right, they've been but, more effective than most. Right. But getting back to the game... Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in this early in the second period, there's a four, almost a four player rush where Kale McCarr is the trailer. He finishes the play. It's three, nothing. And you're thinking to yourself, all right, this is probably expected. This is what Colorado does to a lot of teams, but there was a sliver of hope because the devils were getting a lot of opportunities against Darcy Kemper, who is their starting goaltender. I might add. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things started to break through off a big break. Uh, Jonas Siegenthaler hits the far post bounces off. Thomas Tatar's leg and mm-hmm. goes into the net. That's Tatar's first goal in quite some time. It's now 3-1. And then you see a little magic where Jack Hughes um, deeks and darts around the defense, drops it for Ty Smith, who does the same, uh, notably going around a very lazy defense by Gabriel Landeskog. Um, it puts up a short side, sharp angle shot that just sneaks through Darcy Kemper. Upon replay, it looks like it was deflected uh, by the Colorado defender. At the, at the end, but all the same, it's three, two. And you start going, huh, it's now a game again. And then yeah. the devils get a power play and Damon Severson fires a long shot from the center point. One of the worst shots you could possibly take, but because Nathan Bastion put his uh, butt into Darcy Kemper's grill, it's in the net. It's three, three. And the stand, and there's a standing ovation at the end of the second period. And, and you could see or you could hear that Steve was excited by that one. He knew what that goal meant to tie things up. And it was a completely different game entering the third, but the devils, again, we see those graphs all the time of, I don't want to, you know, if people don't know what I'm talking about, the deserve to win meter there's one of those games where the devils often find themselves on the favorable end of that, despite the fact that they have indeed lost the game here, the deserve a winnow meter swung towards the devils and they deserve to win this game. They played very, very well in that third period. They limited Colorado extremely well and found a way to take the lead. This is true. Colorado was pretty much stemmed outside of that Nathan McKinnon line, which makes sense because Nathan McKinnon's line is like one of the best in hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Devils do get a power play in the third period. Jack Hughes, the big deal. Uh, at live, I thought he hit uh, Kemper, but it turns out the shot hit Nathan Bastion, dropped for the big forward, and he just tucked it in. It's now four to three and Yanker Sharon Govich, who, by the way, had a really great game. Like he had a very, very good game, winning lots of board battles, doing work on the penalty kill, um, making lots of play- good plays on and off the puck gets rewarded with the ENG, the power, the, I'm sorry, the shorthanded ENG because uh, Colorado uh, 
had a late power play thanks to P.K. Subban tripping. Uh, I don't think it was McKinnon. It might have been Kadri. But the point is, is that Sharon Govich sealed the deal. It's five to three. There's your win. Definitely one of the better wins of the season. Mm-hmm. Your mileage may vary if it's the best win this season. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's definitely up there. It's definitely something that, um, you know, there's a foregone conclusion that they might or they have a very strong chance of losing this game, given the opponent, given their situation, given the time of year, and given the fact that uh, I don't believe Nico Heischer played in this game, did he? No, he did not. So Nico Heischer was ruled out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was even a picture of him in a boot, but he was practicing with Miles Wood at the towards the end of this week that we're just covering. So he may not be up for too long, but he did not play in this game. And credit to Pavel Zaka, credit to... Uh, Jimmy VC credit to Dawson Mercer for, you know, trying to fill in the gaps appropriately. Unfortunately, this also meant the Devils played Mason Geertsen. So the Devils ultimately played with 17 fo- uh, 17 players in the, for this game, the Winnipeg game and the mm-hmm. St. Louis game. And that Winnipeg game. So uh, talking about the Winnipeg game and talking about the Anaheim game right after that, uh, the vibes are pretty similar, which is in it's strange. The results, the score lines were identical, just the other way for the Devils and the Devils managed to win the shootout against Anaheim, but they're both really, really tight games that were, I guess, unexpected to be as tight as they were given the goaltending situation, given how the teams had come into those games, both Winnipeg and Anaheim hadn't exactly been keeping things out of their own net when they came to play against the Devils. And, you know, we know that the Devils hadn't been doing that either, but two one, one games that went opposite ways. Yeah, in both games, I would argue, and I'm going to use a term that uh, Jared Moore on All About the Jersey used, is that the Devils got goalied, meaning that they can't, they, the goaltender just played really, really well. And unfortunately, this is a sport just like in soccer, um, where sometimes you could do a lot of things right, but if the, goal te- if the goaltender or the goalkeeper is having a great game, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And against Eric Comrie, who is... Yes, a former Devils depth <laughs> goaltender. Um, um, he, he shined in this one. He played out of his mind. He faced 30, 66 shooting attempts and 34 shots in all situations. Like the Devils had an XG of 3.4 in all situations. He only gets beaten once. Uh, a, a great one-timer by Jack Hughes, the big deal on the power play that made it 1-1 at the time. But a Kyle Connor, a controversial Kyle Connor breakaway goal uh, provided the difference maker because Nico Dawes he played well in this game but that Connor breakaway goal ended up being the difference mm-hmm. and you can't say the Devils didn't try they put 40 scoring chances on him 14 high danger chances on him a Comrie it just it just wasn't going to happen that night and it did it yeah um, going back to the breakaway goals excuse me the controversy was a, there was an uncalled slash that led to this and, and Connor scored and he didn't celebrate because mm-hmm. I think he was expecting it you know a call or a whistle or something but um, he got the benefit of the no call and uh, the Jets went on to win that game 2-1. And the Jets are now 8-0-3 in their last 11 games against the Devils. <sighs> this team always, always, right. always. But, against... but, you can't, but you can't say the performance from the Devils was bad. This was, not, no. this was like worlds better than the last Winnipeg Devils game where the Devils give up three goals early, score four in a row. And then give up five in a row. No, this is just uh, one of those where the result was, uh, you know, not great because they're playing against Winnipeg, even though they they did everything they could. Yeah, exactly. This is one of those um, process over result sort of games where if you were looking for positives, but, if, mm-hmm. you know, 
we're in the results-oriented business. So the if, so the L was not a good feeling. However, well, yeah, we're in the results-oriented business at a point where the results don't even matter as much. Um, mm-hmm. In this point of the season, they're not going anywhere. So win or loss, I think it's arguably more about process in every game now. To a degree, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, selfishly, I'd like the Devils to finish ahead of oh, Philadelphia yeah. this season because you know, they've been trading positions for the past couple weeks. Um, and if they can catch the Islanders, that would also be nice. You know, you got to show some progress. You can't just say, hey, everything's better now. It's like, mm, come on, Tom, Gerald, you, you promised meaningful hockey and this ain't it. Yeah, and but despite if... Bryce Salvador's best efforts on the broadcast last night, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, this, no, <laughs> they're not meaningful games. However, you, well, wouldn't also, know it from the, you wouldn't know it from the performances. You would you not know, know that from the performances. If Philadelphia finishes ahead of the Devils, they could potentially give out more deals like the one they gave uh, the other day to Rasmus Ristolainen. That's the thing. I don't mind them finishing ahead if they're going to be giving out five-year contracts to Ristolainen, who is widely considered both before the trade and acquisition and during the season to be one of the worst defensemen in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, you know, I understand the argument of, uh, well, he's big and he's strong and he's consistent. Yes. He's consistently bad, Dan. Um, He's got all the worst qualities of a defenseman. Um, Do you want the mindlessness of Damon Severson and PK Subban? You got that. You want a guy who's physical to a fault. Uh, You got that. Do you want a guy who's a, not going to make the right decisions on most plays. You got that. Is he fast? Not really. <laughs> you got that. And statistically, every time he's been on the ice, um, it's like a black hole out there. Um, you know, I understand for years the argument was, well, he was on a really bad Buffalo team. But seriously, this is one of those things where you don't even need to look at any numbers. If you just watch the man play, you'll wonder, who, 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 how is this worth 5.1 million per season? How yeah. is it? Uh, but hey, I'm okay understand. with the Philadelphia Flyers making <laughs> bad decisions. Um, and I'm happy that the Devils made um, a good decision in their next game against mm-hmm. Anaheim, where they kept rolling with Nico Dawes. Um, and this is and the most consecutive starts by a Devils goalie since Blackwood in early 2020. Exactly. Like I said, Dawes has pretty much taken the net over from John Gillis, um, which gives me a little more confidence that maybe – He's legitimately good as opposed to a guy who's just riding a hot streak like mm-hmm. Wedgwood did so many years ago. Right. Um, but the right decision was ultimately to keep giving Thomas Tatar a chance because as, as much criticism as he gets, you know, he's getting a big contract. He hasn't been particularly productive R- relative to that co- relative to that contract. He's one of the few players on the team over the age of 30. Um, you know, fans are increasingly pointing to Tatar as an example of the team's lack of depth of quality at wing, since it's Jesper Bratt, Sharon Govich on a good night, Mercer, if he's playing there, and dudes. Uh, but Tatar, <laughs> Tatar made a great, had a great night. And um, Jesper Bokvist, who also had a very good night, saw this in the second period, fed Tatar cutting to the net, beats mm-hmm. Anthony Stellars low. And that was your only goal of regulation as Stellars goalied the Devils. But however, the Do- Nico Dawes also goalied the Ducks as this game went the distance at 1-1. Yeah, the one allowed goal was a snipe of a shot from Anaheim's leading scorer, Troy Terry. Um, mm-hmm. the, I don't know what Dawes could have really done about that one. Um, that was just a great, great, great shot. Um, but they go to overtime and overtime's exciting as the Devils have 
more than a few chances to convert, but can't manage to do so despite having uh, 40 seconds of, uh, nah, maybe not 40 seconds, but at least 20, seconds. something like that of, oh no, I don't mean the man advantage. I mean, before the man advantage actually started, they had the puck for a significant amount of time with the goalie. Oh, yeah. they, got, they got to cycle for a little bit. So they effectively had over a minute of four on three play um, with or without a goalie. So they couldn't capitalize on that. But in the shootout, Dawes closed the door on Anaheim's young scorers. The Devils got goals from both Tatar and Jesper Bratt. And Jesper Bratt, oh man, I mean, you got to get Stolar some new clothes. He was undressed. Pretty much. And it was nice to see Bratt do that because he didn't have a very good night, like, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, I don't think he was particularly uh, great, even though this season has been great. This was not one of his better nights. But when he managed to complete the deke, because he's very good at attempting that uh, crossover cutting across the net move the problem is a lot of times he runs out of room and therefore doesn't always get a shot off but he nailed it perfectly on that one and uh that sealed the deal um putting the devils up 2-0 in the shootout dawes makes the stop on troy terry and everybody celebrates dan not only a shootout win but the team's first shootout win at home since february 16th 2020 Oh, over my <laughs> oh my God. It was a long time coming. Congratulations to Nico Dawes. I'm sure that one feels uh, particularly amazing knowing the history that the Devils have in the shootout portion of the game as well. So uh, that's, that's just great news. That's, that was a good all around win against the team that quite frankly, they had embarrassed themselves in front of earlier in the season in Anaheim losing yep. three, nothing. It was their only, like you four said, nothing. last episode or oh, four, nothing. It was their only time this season that they've been shut out. So it's good to come back and take a win from them on home ice. So the devils defend their home ice pretty well with three wins in four in this homestand uh, as they depart for Western Canada and we shudder to think of the consequences as they play Vancouver on Tuesday, Calgary on Wednesday in a back-to-back that is destined for failure is the best way I can describe that. And then they have a Saturday matinee or pseudo matinee for us matinee there against Edmonton um, visiting the Oilers who have been stumbling recently as well. These aren't easy games. <laughs> no. no, Vancouver and Edmonton both have something to play for. The Pacific Division is where the playoff race is mm-hmm. in, in, in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Central Division has spots open for grabs, too. The wild card in the West is very wide open. The Western Conference in general is is not how the East is shaping up this year. The East this no. year seems it's locked in for the most part, <laughs> Yeah, which is tragic, but, but you know. But the point is, is that Vancouver and Edmonton still have life. Calgary is like the one team that's the safest. Mm-hmm. And even then, I would say, you know, Calgary is going to keep on rolling through. They've been, yes, I know Washington beat them last week, but uh, they've been eating Metropolitan Division teams for lunch, dinner, dessert midnight snack all season long. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that game on the 16th is going to be, um, it's not going to be pretty. So, you know, you may not want to stay up till past 10 PM Eastern standard time for that one. If it's anything that, like the last game against Calgary, I'll be watching it with one hand over my eyes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But this is an important trip as just after this trip is over, Dan, mm-hmm. March 21st, 3 PM Eastern standard time is your NHL trade deadline Mm -hmm. and the devil's very clearly positioned as sellers this time around although if it makes sense to make a hockey deal like they did with jonas siegenthaler uh last year around this time around this uh functional time in the season 
they would do it. I think they have plenty of space to add players. I think they have a lot of players that are um, going to be leaving the team that they could replace pretty comfortably. I think they need to start thinking about, you know, people whose timelines would match up more with the young stars. And now that we know that they're going to be stars and are already stars, much easier to plan around building um, around them instead of, you know, having to speculate, are these guys going to be good enough to form the foundation of my team? Now we can make hockey trades, but mostly the devils are going to be sellers in the sense that can they find someone to take at least part of the PK Subban contract? Can they find someone um, who might have interest in any of the pending uh, RFAs that they don't want to give away? Obviously not Brett is who we're talking about here. Can they find interest in any of the potential UFAs or any of the guys with terms still left over? Damon Severson, is he going to be moving? And what's the one that you noticed some rumors about last week, John? Well, Darren Drager reported a couple days ago that Arizona apparently has interest in Andreas Johnson. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's surprising to me since Johnson has not been particularly, you know, productive or all that amazing or notable in recent weeks, but apparently Arizona is interested in the man since Johnson has something Arizona wants, which is a higher cap hit than his salary. Mm -hmm. Uh, His cap hit is 3.4 million. He's got, um, he's, he's got uh, another year left on it. Uh, Most of that money is in signing bonuses of roughly 1.75 million. And his base salary is only at the NHL minimum of $750,000. So, and, and more importantly, uh, next season, Johnson gets a 10 team, no trade list for a modified, no trade clause, which we can almost guarantee that Arizona would most likely be on it. So the time to deal Johnson may actually be very, very soon. And, um, if Arizona says, Hey, here's one of our five second round picks for you, I say, do the deal. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see if that rumor has any fire. However, it is worth noting that uh, Tom Fitzgerald, the general manager, was live and in person attending the Arizona-Boston game last mm-hmm. night. And typically GMs do not do scouting themselves. So, and I know that Tom's son is in the NHL, but he's not on either of those teams. Yeah, but so... Tom has deep ties to Boston itself. So maybe he was up there for some sort of family visit and it was convenient. Maybe convenient during the Devils game to go attend somebody else's. Game. I mean, maybe right. <laughs> maybe he has you know, the some Devils family pay to my visit. salary, but I'm gonna just go visit my folks. <laughs> Do you blame a man for spending St. Patrick's Day weekend in Boston? I feel like that's a very appropriate place to be. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> if they do take. Johnson off the books. The thing is, he started the year pretty well playing in a top six role. And when the top six was more solidified as, um, you know, Hughes came back, Brat really emerged as to what he is now. He's playing more bottom six. Maybe there's more opportunity for him in Arizona as well. Um, but most likely it's the point that you mentioned about his uh, salary versus his actual cap hit. So We'll see if he goes anywhere. I mean, I don't think the devil should hold on to anyone too tightly at this point, minus the, you know, the centers and Dawson Mercer. Uh, so Dawson Mercer, Luke Hughes, Alexander Holtz, your first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking I mean, that's pretty of much... the people currently playing in the NHL. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a lot of guys that you should basically re- render as untouchable outside of. It's like the Easter, centers, Mercer, Hughes, Brad. Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. I mean. You know, yeah, Hamilton's Hamilton, not going well, anywhere. Well, he also has a no movement clause. He can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, 
you know, there's a lot of potential opportunities for a creative GM. Mm-hmm. And of course, that also requires somebody to be interested in making those moves. As, as always with any trade, um, it's similar to dating. You could be interested, but if they're not interested in you, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, Fitzgerald can call up all 31 GMs on the hour, every hour from now until the 21st. But if nobody's interested in making a deal, then there's not going to be a deal. That's just how things are. Yep. So we'll see what happens. Um, there's already been enough chatter from a couple of executives saying, oh, well, you know, it's really quiet. I can't. I'm so surprised it's very quiet. But you almost hear that story every year. Um, I imagine that once Monday gets closer, it will be not so quiet. Mm-hmm. As, uh, every, everybody's got games to play before this deadline. And I think that's another big factor in terms of... Um, what type of moves you want to make here. I mean, as you said, the West is wide open. So you're going to see some teams still hemming and hawing over whether they go for it or not. Mm-hmm. And in the East, it's pretty much locked down. So we, I could almost tell you that pretty much everybody that maybe isn't Columbus, but everybody worse than Columbus is going to do some selling. Mm-hmm. Um, not Philadelphia though. They're, they locked up risk, Rasmus risk the line and they got a plan. I couldn't tell you what it is, but they got a plan, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, but teams like Carolina are hated rivals, Pittsburgh, Washington, Tampa Bay, Florida, Boston, and Toronto. They're probably going to buy to some degree and uh, we'll see what type of fun moves are made with cap hits. Cause that's the other factor as far as why the chatter has been so odd is that almost every team in the league is running on L- LTIR at every at, at some point. Um, and uh, a lot of teams just don't have a lot of projected cap space. So every day you gain a little more cap space, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that can make the difference in terms of whether or not you make a deal or not. So, yeah, the, it's a very interesting position. The devils find themselves in specifically because they're in that place where, well, it wouldn't be the worst thing to add in anticipation of next year, just given that you know who's going to be around and who's not. And they know pretty much that they'll be able to afford anyone that's already on the team that they would want to pay. So it's not like they're being restricted by anything in particular, but they could still acquire more assets and kind of just let the gaps be filled in by stuff that's already in the system too. When they, If they lose a Severson or a Subban or both, they have Luke Hughes, they have Riley Walsh who are next man up you know they're people that they want to see succeed in the nhl and they'll be at much cheaper of a price if they're managing to do that um than a potential free agent than a trade would cost and again you can look at the siegenthaler trade as a way to acquire an asset that's totally worth it during the trade deadline and yes that was done because washington had concerns about the expansion draft but there's still trades to be made like that. There's still players languishing in minor roles and other teams that could really shine. If given the opportunity as Siegenthaler mm-hmm. has showed in New Jersey, he's made himself a valuable part of this defense. I don't really see um, that changing anytime soon. So let's see if Fitzgerald can make another deal like that. And obviously next week, as we get closer to the actual day, I want to just encourage people to not expect blockbusters. Um, that rarely happens during the NHL trade deadline. I think, if you're looking blockbusters, look at the NBA. Um, that's that's more likely where it's going to happen. But there's still going to be deals of consequence. There's still going to be those deals that take a contender potentially from, you know, contending status to the champion. If you look at the articles that are coming out about the deals that could happen today, they all reference the Blake Coleman and Barclay Goodrow deals, which are attributed to taking Tampa over the top. So look out for those kinds of deals as well. Certainly. And just to add a little further... I don't want to say fire. I don't know what the opposite of fire, I guess cold water to the day is that Jacob Chitron picked up a lower body injury and he was one of the hottest names 
to be dealt away from Arizona, uh, who are expected to be like the biggest sellers of all the sellers and, you know, have been stockpiling a bajillion draft picks for this year's draft. Like I said, they have five second round picks right now. They could feasibly add like more. Um, (laughs) But nevertheless, Dan, um, since he's out and depending on the uh, significance of his injury, um, you know, that could basically not only remove a quote unquote bigger name on the trade block, mm-hmm. but at the same time also um, wards and teams off from going out and making the big trade for the, um, for the uh, top end defenseman. Like I said, um, you know, if you go to TSN's trade center, Chitrin is number one with a bullet on their trade bait list because mm-hmm. he's 23. He makes a good salary. He has talent, but you know, unless Arizona is looking to pay the man, and I'm going to guess the answer is he, he's not going to get it on a team that's basically going to play bargain bin hockey in a College. tiny stadium <laughs> for the next couple of years as they yeah. sort all that out. Uh, man, it's weird how Alex Marullo, his, uh, his uh, reign as owner has not gone well. Hmm. Um, you know, after him, then you get into guys like Claude Giroux, Ben Charat, uh, Josh Manson, Rickard Raquel. Uh, but Mark specifically, like, look it's at not the exactly defenseman sexy. market, right? The defensive yeah, market exactly. becomes Sherratt, Giordano, and then you go down to the people with some term. Yeah, exactly. Like um, Hampus Lindholm, you know, Nick Letty is on the list. <laughs> uh, but see, this is how this is how a guy like Severson has been appearing on a list like this. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, well, if Chitrin's gone and you want a uh, a guy with a season left, maybe some experience. He see Severson is legitimately having a career year in points right now. He's mm-hmm. on pace to break his career high in production. He already has 40 points for the season. Um, I'm sorry. He's on pace to have over 40 points this season, which would be a career high for him. Um, you know, go out there, you know, he starts becoming much more attractive. So we'll, we shall see a lot can change over the next eight days. And uh, given that everybody's texting and has cell phones and all this fun stuff, it doesn't take too much time to make a deal. It's not like the old days where, you know, you needed somebody to be on the rotary phone and need to get be there for the fax machine. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, deals can happen super quick and you don't know what type of frameworks that have already been agreed upon where if this happens, then we'll do this. If this doesn't happen, then we'll do this. Similar to what uh, happened in the NFL, where shortly after Aaron Rodgers got signed, the Denver Broncos pull off a big trade for Russell Wilson. Yeah. Um, after saying a week ago that they're, you know, Seattle saying, Oh, he's not going to get traded. Well, they clearly had a framework in place to trade him. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, people that, lie that too. People also <laughs> lie. Not everybody is truthful. Everybody. That's your big lesson from this week's Garden state of hockey. Not everybody is telling you the truth. DTA, people lie <laughs> don't trust anybody. <laughs> Anyway, um, that's I think that's it for this episode. Uh, we're, we're starting to loop around here. But next week, we'll have more detailed coverage of the trade deadline as some trades start to fly, as we have more of an idea of what's being rumored and who's being held out of games as the deadline approaches. So after all that, a successful homestand for the Devils winning three in four. The deadline's coming up. How will their roster change? Well, we'll bring you the coverage of that after the Devils tackle Western Canada for this season. John, anything else for today? Uh, Good luck in Western Canada. Don't get hurt. And we shall see if Miles Wood and Nico Heischer play this week or after the deadline. I would probably bet after the deadline just to give these guys 
uh, some more time to recover and be fully prepared and more importantly, cleared to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see if he's able to come back as well as a pending RFA and um, show flashes of whether or not he belongs on this team as well. So we'll talk more about Miles Wood, obviously, when the season comes to a close, when he's back and playing games again. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Garden State of Hockey. And as the deadline comes closer, always remember, let's go Devils. Go Devils. Go Devils.